This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is A.H. Almas. A.H. Almas is the pen name of Hamid Ali, the author of more than 14 books. His works with Sounds True include the audio learning series, The Diamond Approach, A Path of Inner Discovery, and Realization Unfolds, A Dialogue with Adyashanti. In 1976, Hamid's interest in the long-term process of spiritual study led him to found the Ridwan School, dedicated to studying what he calls the Diamond Approach, with the goal of creating a field of spiritual resonance that allows a gradual process of individual spiritual development. Recently, Hamid has created a new online course with Sounds True called Endless Enlightenment, the view of totality in the Diamond Approach. This is an online course that begins on March 28th and includes two live question-and-answer sessions with Hamid. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Hamid and I spoke about important markers on the path to enlightenment and beyond. We also talked about non-dual realization and how in the Diamond Approach, there are many different aspects and levels of depth to non-dual realization, and also how non-dual realization is not the end of the spiritual journey, but one realization among many. We also talked about Hamid's teaching on the view of totality and why he waited more than 20 years to bring this teaching forward to the public. And finally, we talked about the importance of always being open to what is true and the limits of having a specific goal in mind for our spiritual journey. Here's my conversation with Hamid on endless enlightenment. Hamid, I'd I'd like to begin by being quite vulnerable and testifying, if you will, that being able to work with you and produce the online program on endless enlightenment the view of totality in the diamond approach was actually one of the highlights for me of my entire career here at Sounds True, working with authors and producing programs. Interesting. Yeah, it helped me understand so much about the spiritual path. And so I feel happy today that I can talk with you about the teachings on endless enlightenment. And I have to say that I have as my goal, if you will, as we begin this conversation, to try to make your work on endless enlightenment as accessible as possible. And I don't think that's an easy goal, but I'm up for it if you are. I am up for it. It's not an an easy goal, I agree. (laughs) But let's see what we can do. So first of all, let's just start with this title, Endless Enlightenment. I want to begin with the word enlightenment, because I think that is such a loaded word, and it's very confusing for people. So to begin, tell me if enlightenment as a word has meaning for you, what does it mean? That's why I use the word endless. Because many people take enlightenment to be one thing, while for me it is not. It is a living process. So enlightenment is basically is to awaken to what we truly are, our true potential, that we have an infinite potential, and to be directly in touch with this potential, and for us to be free 
to recognize, experience this potential as it is called forth by our life circumstances. Okay, so enlightenment is endless. Let's just say that the listener is with you on this point. Would you say, though, that there are important markers on the path? Like, oh, this is a very important marker on this ever-unfolding endless enlightenment process? There are many markers on the path, just as there are markers for enlightenment itself and its endlessness. I mean, before enlightenment and even after enlightenment, there are markers. So share with me what you think some of the important markers are leading up to this idea of quote-unquote enlightenment and then beyond yeah, well, like before uh, the actual enlightenment, what we're calling enlightenment, which might be different from what other people call enlightenment, at the beginning, you know, or let's say at some point, there is a, a felt need or a felt uh, movement towards something more than the ordinary, usual, everyday uh, events of life and the usual uh, um, things that we experience and accomplish as part of society. It's recognizing there is another dimension to being human, to being alive, a dimension that at some point we call spiritual. That is an important thing, an important mark, because most people in the world don't have that yet. Having gotten to the point of recognizing there is something deeper, bigger, more profound that will make our life more complete and more fulfilled. And because we have a feeling or a sense of it or a faith in it, we want to move toward it. We want to do what we can do, open ourselves to it. That's sometimes the beginning of the path. There is no path without this beginning. And sometimes that happens by somebody having an experience. Out of nowhere, they have some kind of a a vision or an opening or an insight or some kind of eruption of a, a spiritual experience that opens them up. Some people have it like a need death experience or under the hallucinogenic drugs or something like that that opens their eyes that there is something else than the everyday just eating and sleeping and walking and talking and all of that. There is something else, mm-hmm. a whole other dimension beside our emotions and thoughts. That's really one of the big markers, you know, that... Uh, any spiritual path will need to include. Okay, so I think our listeners are probably with you if they're listeners to this program, Insights at the Edge, that they have this hunger. Okay, what's next? What's the next marker? Well, the next marker, of course, I mean, there are many things that happen. We're talking about important markers. The next marker is to have a direct encounter with the spiritual reality itself direct experience of it. I call it uh, a first encounter of a third kind with our spiritual nature. Meaning you don't just read about it, you don't only hear about it from your teacher, you don't just uh, you know, study about it, you actually have a direct immediate contact and experience of spiritual nature whether you experience it as love or presence or awareness or emptiness, it doesn't matter, but it is something not of this world, but real. It appears to us as real, just as real as this world, maybe even more real and more concrete, but it is not like anything in this world, in our world. That's the... Uh, an important marker of the path. 
Now, Hamid, I want I want to ask you about this because yeah. I'm imagining someone who's listening who says, you know, I'm not sure. Like, you know, I've read so many spiritual books, and sure, I mean, I've had deep experiences in meditation or staring in the eyes of my partner or being in nature. Have I had what Hamid is calling a close encounter? Have I touched true nature? I don't know. Well, that's a good question, because maybe you maybe not. All the examples you gave may have that encounter and may not. I'm talking about an encounter where you know it is an encounter, where there is a recognition that, yes, I recognize this is spiritual nature. It's not enough to feel an amazing awe or depth or beauty or uh, joy or anything like that. Those happen, but those happen without the spiritual path. So this mark I'm talking about is the recognition of of our true nature, our spiritual nature, recognizing it for what it is, as pure, as as immaculate, as pure, as perfect, as not corruptible, and that it is not physical, not emotional, not mental. So that's, uh, and really it's it's recognizing the spiritual nature as a palpable, either as a palpable presence or as an empty vastness or as an ocean of love or or some nectar of love, but recognizing a new element, let's say, an element that wasn't there in our experience before. It might have been there without us recognizing it, that doesn't count as this marker because people have it all along their life without recognizing it. It's the recognition of it that makes this marker. Okay, and once again, I'm kind of going to ask the same question, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. Is there a litmus test? Someone's listening and they're like, you know, yeah, it was palpable. I felt the ocean of being, yes, but I'm not quite sure. Well, yes, I mean, people may doubt the experience afterward. That's not unusual. You might have an encounter with spiritual nature, and then uh, when it passes, you doubt whether that was real or not, was it my imagination or not, not or normal. It happened for most people. But the marker has happened anyway. And if it is real, really happen, it is uh, another beginning. It will lead. It is part of the process. It will, let's say, uh, uh, quicken the process. Okay. And are you calling this encounter with true nature, is that a type of enlightenment in your view, or are we not at classical enlightenment yet? Uh, yeah, I'm not calling that enlightenment yet. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, we can, but um, I, in my way of looking at things, uh, I leave the word enlightenment for something more complete than that. Okay, so let's keep going then. Yeah. So this is the marker of experiencing spiritual nature. In my own experience, I recognize spiritual nature first as presence, as the presence of my consciousness, the presence of my awareness, the presence of my being, the presence of my spirit. My presence is presence that is not physical, not emotional, not mental, but a presence that feels itself as the presence it is. So it is a presence that is aware, self-aware, and self-knowing, and self-knowing of itself as presence. And it is palpably presence, and I feel I am present. I am present here, I am present in the room, I am present in the situation, I am present with you. So that's, you know, that's an important experience. It is not yet enlightenment or even what people call awakening or realization, which are other things too. But it is an important marker. It means we really 
have come face to face with what we are. We might not know yet it is what we are, but we know something that is unusual. Some people, when they face encounters, they don't know it's their nature. They think it's God or some angel or something like that. So they think of it as a spiritual nature outside of themselves or emerging within them, but not it's not themselves, which is fine. That is part of this first marker. The first marker, you can recognize it as yourself, or you might not. But you recognize it is something different from everything else. I call it, actually, one of the articulations I've made for it is recognizing true nature as other. And by other, I mean other than what I have known before that. Other than the world I know, the experiences I have, other than the self I have known myself to be. So other is to make it different, to make it distinctly different from everything else. Okay. I think I'm with you so far, Hamid. I I feel like I'm tracking with you and that our listeners are too. Let's keep going. Yeah. And, you know, because there are many ways of recognizing a spiritual presence, uh, people might not agree or might not know or might have doubt or they have read something is different from what they read or what they heard because uh, the spiritual nature has many ways it manifests itself. It can manifest itself as presence the way I first experienced it, for instance. It can manifest itself as just light, pure, radiant light can manifest itself as love, as pure and selfless love that is not emotional. It can manifest itself as spaciousness, as an openness. So people can encounter any of those and they say, well, that doesn't sound like what Hamid said. But that, but they are all really encounters of the same true nature because this true nature has many ways it manifests itself. What's common uh, to all of these is that they're all different from conventional, ordinary, egoic experience. Uh, They're all immaculate, they're all pure, and they're all spiritual. They're all non-physical. Okay, so a marker on the way to endless enlightenment is the recognition of the otherness of true nature in whatever yeah. way we encounter it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. what's next? The next thing is what I call the realization of true nature, which is a movement of, from, from it, uh, from seeing it as an other to seeing it as oneself. So it is really a transition from experiencing it to being it. So that's what I call the self-realization of true nature. So I don't experience presence. I experience myself as presence. I don't experience spaciousness. I'm aware I am the spaciousness. I don't experience love. I'm aware I am love. I don't experience truth. The experience is, I am the truth. So this is a big step, actually. It's, 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 it can be for some people. Some people could be might take a few minutes, a few hours to get to the second step. Most of the time, it takes some years because this is going uh, across a big divide between our usual identity to a new identity. So it's identity here. Now let me ask you a question about that, Hamid. In my experience, in my own life, but also in hearing many, many, many reports from people, that shift can take a really long time. 
maybe even decades, meaning it can have a gradual quality of experiencing true nature as other and then sometimes as self and going back and forth, back and forth. I'm curious if you could comment on that. You, it, uh, yes, it can take a long time. For some people, it might never happen. But, you know, in the work I do and the school we have, you know, the school I developed and now I teach in, uh, the first marker, the encounter with the true nature, usually takes a few years, two or three years. The self-realization could take up from five to ten years. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the average. But other places might be different. Other teaching, you know, different. You know, like in the Zen, for instance, they could meditate for thirty years before anything happened, and then they happen. They have the realization, you know. Suddenly, and they don't even go through the first marker. They go suddenly to the second one. And when you consider the second marker, what you're calling self-realization, in your view and teaching, does that mean that stable, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, someone is experiencing themselves, as you say, as presence, love, well, that is again a process. First, there is the self-realization as an experience, and then the self-realization as an ongoing uh, reality. One thing uh, that is important for everybody to recognize, when we say that the realization has become constant or has become uh, established, it does not necessarily mean we experience it every instant. It means that it is our home base. Whenever we pay attention, whenever we're at ease, whenever we relax, that's what we find. I call it a station that becomes a station for us. It is our homeostatic level. That's really what it means. It's rarely that somebody is constantly aware of the realization or the, or the pure element of the realization 100% all the time. That's not, not expected, not usual, and not necessary. Okay, so this home base of self-realization... Is that what you mean by enlightenment, or are we not there yet? We're not there yet. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> so we have first the first marker, which is the true nature as other, and the second marker, true nature as oneself, instead of other. And the third marker, of course, is what you brought up, which when it becomes established as a station, which means it's, it is uh, it is available. It is continually available when, uh, when its mode of operation is needed. That's what I call self-realization. So first we have uh, an experience of true nature. Then we have a realization an experience of realization of true nature, then we have a constant realization of true nature. Okay. That, that, and usually for many teachings, if one attains that, that, you know, that's quite a lot of fulfillment in one's life, actually. It's, uh, it's like the spiritual reality has become the center of one's life. Okay, but you're reserving this term enlightenment, and then, as you mentioned, there are markers beyond enlightenment. So I want to cover the basic uh, map here, if you will, Hamid. So let's keep taking us further. Yeah, well, okay. So the self-realization, first of all, there are many kinds, many types, and many degrees because 
uh, we can experience our true nature in a limited way or not. Meaning, I can experience one can experience their true nature as presence and recognize there is presence within them in their heart or their mind all the time. That will be considered, uh, you know, a constant state of self-realization. But it's limited because the self, the true nature is is limited by location. So that's a degree. So that can expand so that the true nature with its awareness or presence or love can begin to pervade everything and become the nature of everything. And that expands the realization. So we have another degree of realization. Instead of just recognizing true nature, we recognize that true nature is infinite and it is the nature of everything. That is uh, another development of self-realization. Another development, of course, is recognizing not that it is the nature of everything, but everything arises out of this nature. Everything is an expression of this true nature. Now true nature becomes the ground of everything. Not just my nature, but it is the nature of everything and the ground of everything. And everything is emanating out of it, manifesting out of it. Everything is an expression of the same thing. So that's another degree of realization. Okay, and you're reserving this enlightenment word to describe what? Now, I realize it's endless, but you would use the word enlightenment to describe what? Well, first of all, enlightenment, I, I like to reserve the word enlightenment to mean uh, uh, freedom, not only having realized the true nature, but there is also freedom of constriction by the ego self. Freedom from constriction by beliefs, ideas, and uh, history. Freedom from limitation. And that doesn't mean there won't be limitation, but mean the limitation don't stop the realization from continuing to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So enlightenment has two components. One of them is awakening to true nature, right? And the other one is that the the expansion of true nature, its development, its uh, manifesting more of its potential, is not hampered by our history or our beliefs or our character. So that way, enlightenment is different from realization, because realization stays as the same thing and and can be hampered, can be limited by our character. In fact, many realized individuals, they still have uh, unworked out material in their ego. They still have character traits, or they have history, or they have and you know, still repressed emotion or repressed hist- uh, repressed uh, uh, patterns or compulsive patterns that they don't have a handle on. That can happen while one is realized. Enlightenment means we have freedom from that. Okay, that's extremely profound thing to say, Hamid. So I have to ask you a direct question then. So in your life experience, you don't feel at all constricted or restricted, hampered by your history, by past experiences, by unworked out neurotic upheavals, whatever you might describe that just happen that are outside of your ability to be free from them? It's it's, uh, not exactly that way. It's more like when things like that arise, 
like uh, something I haven't seen before or uh, some memory I haven't encountered or some pattern I haven't seen, it, it is it doesn't become an obstacle. It is easily seen through and the realization moves through it. It's not stopped by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's no end to how much stuff one has. That's why it's endless enlightenment. That's what makes enlightenment endless. Because one is never free from all delusion. Because there is always ignorance, regardless how much we know. We might know our true nature, but there are many things we don't know about our character or our tendencies. So help me understand again, though, the difference if there's always delusion in every human being, or if there's always things we don't know, every human being, what's the difference in how delusion appears in an enlightened person versus an unenlightened person? The delusion that appears in an enlightened person is by not having a certain uh, way of experiencing and believing it doesn't exist. For instance, there is the realization or the enlightenment, what's called non-dual enlightenment, right? Where you experience reality as non-dual, nothing is separate from anything else. It's all one unified consciousness or awareness, right? One can experience, can have that realization. And many people, actually, in fact, I know many people, I've read, I've studied many people who believe, that's it, I got it, that's the end. People who say that are deluded. It's not the end. Yeah, I think that this is um, a very important thing to talk about. And one of the things that's very unique in your work on endless enlightenment, understanding the view of totality, it brings us to this view of totality. Because I do think, Hamid, I've, I've interviewed you know, dozens of people who have had a non-dual realization and describe that as, that's it. You know, I've, I've found it. I've discovered it. There's no division. There's no subject-object. The field, the yeah. sea of oneness. I get it. That's it. Yeah. And I understand them. I felt that way at some point. I realized at some point that was just a stage. Because something else happened. Not because I was waiting for it. I was resting in non-dual enlightenment. Feeling it, enjoying it, and not knowing there's anything more, but something happened. Something else emerged, transpired, you know, and then I saw it was a different way of experiencing things that I didn't even know it was possible. I didn't think about it, and I haven't heard about it. And I realized I had the delusion that this way of experiencing doesn't exist. That was my delusion. And can you tell us what emerged? Well, there were many junctures, many ways. But mm-hmm. One of the ways, for instance, is not a matter of experiencing things like uh, things are not separate from each other, but more uh, a different kind of unity where, uh, where I, as an individual contain everything, where each particular contains all other particulars. You see, that doesn't sound like non-dual realization, because in non-dual enlightenment, all particulars are manifestations of the same reality, and they're all variations of the same ground. And the particulars are not important. They're all equal. And in fact, it's called the wisdom of, e- of equality, or sameness. While the realization I'm talking about is that the particulars are important. Each particular is unique, 
not only that each particle is unique, that the particular really contains all of the totality of non-dual reality, the totality of all particulars. So, like right now, I don't feel I'm just not, in a non-dual way, I feel I'm not separate from you. There's no separation from you, right? And this other way of realization, I feel you are inside me and I am inside you. Mm -hmm. You see? So it's it's a different kind of uh, realization. And now the people who believe in non-dual realization as the ultimate, the final thing, are deluded because they don't know there is another one. Another way of experiencing that through nature allows another way of experiencing unity. So you see how the delusion can happen here. So it's not a delusion in the sense of belief from one childhood or something. It's more like an ignorance, not knowing that there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. And hence, there is a conceptual conviction that the non-dual is the ultimate. Uh, it becomes a fixation in the mind. And and in my experience, that can become an obstacle. It can, uh, it can limit our true nature from expressing itself in, in novel ways. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now back to Insights at the Edge. How do you think spiritual explorers, if you will, can help themselves not become fixated on whether it's non-dual realization or in any phase of the path? Like, oh, this is it. This is it. How do we not fall into that trap? Well, there are many things, and they are things we learn along the way. One of them is that our love, our care, is for what is true, not for any uh, particular true condition, just for truth per se. Whatever is true, I want to know it, I want to be open to it. That is an important thing, you see, because that doesn't make truth be monolithic, be one thing. I'm open to all truths. Because if you really adhere to one, to say truth is this, truth is non-dual awareness, truth is such the nanda, truth is love, and you believe it completely, well, that is what, what differentiates the different traditions, as you know. However, if somebody adheres to that completely, they become fundamentalist. They will... Uh, believe the other tradition must be wrong or limited or must be have they haven't gotten it yet so there's a prejudice that arises and I see that all across the board everywhere which is you know unfortunate while when somebody is really the true nature they don't really care what is the realization like it's more like doesn't matter what it is. The important thing is that I am free. There's, there's freedom. There's love and freedom and enjoyment. It's dual, not dual. It's different to something else. It's all okay. Mm-hmm. That's for me become what enlightenment really is. So it's this idea of loving what's true no matter what it shows up like and no matter what it looks like in our life. Yeah, which way which way it shows up, which way experience happen, 
and uh, which where reality appears to be, and uh, and there are many ways. I mean, there, and that's why I say it's endless. There's no end to the ways that we can experience it, and which is attested to by the fact there are many teachings. They're all different. As we know, I mean, I remember in the 20th century, people tried to unify all the teachings. They said they're all talking about the same thing. It's called the perennial philosophy. It's been dropped a few few decades ago. That's not true. Different teachings are actually talking about something, things that are fundamentally different. But what I found out from my own research is by having this kind of openness, that's true. Each each teaching is actually true in itself and is complete in itself as a teaching. It's not lacking anything. It's as good as the other teaching, but they're all different. They're all unique. This is a very important idea, Hamid, and I think, it, as you say, it's different than the perennial philosophy. And even I hear a lot of people who basically say, yeah, you know, I listen to so many different Sounds True programs by different teachers, and everybody's really saying the same thing. They're just using different language. But they're all saying the same thing, which is this thing that I'm experiencing inside, and I think everybody's saying that thing that I'm experiencing inside. But you're saying something different. You're saying people might actually be saying different things, actually. Oh, they are saying different things. I listen to many, read many, talk to many, they are saying different things. And I've had discussions with different where there was disagreement. They say something and I say something. No, that's not my experience. And this other person says, well, I don't understand this experience, so this is not, this is my experience. And people want to be the same when in reality, the way I find it, it's okay to be different. And it's interesting, actually, to be different and it's enriching. And it opens us up to even further horizons. We can learn more. Why do you think it makes people uncomfortable? Because I think it does to think that, oh, your tradition is actually different than the path that I'm on. You know, everybody wants to collapse. Jesus and Buddha, they're saying the same thing, etc. Well, so why do you think people are so uncomfortable with that difference, recognizing differences in traditions? Well, I think people, one thing traditionally, and the way people didn't recognize difference is that they believe that their truth is the truth and the others are not exactly as true. And that created uh, debates, uh, at least debates or discourse sometimes. You know, for instance, the long-standing debate between the various Hindu schools and the various Buddhist schools, right? Yeah. Going for a thousand years. They're not saying they're talking about the same thing. Neither of them are claiming that. They're both saying we have our truth. It's different from your truth. But but they tend to say, but I am really, I got the real truth. What's your truth is saying is a little bit an error or not complete or something. That's the way they take it. And um, and that makes people uh, it creates problems when you have that attitude when you want to make the other be incomplete or incorrect, and uh, that's not what I mean by difference. I mean a difference that you accept with joy, with embrace. You are different. I see you are different. I'm happy you're different because I can learn something new that I haven't known, known before. Because I'm secure in my realization, and I don't need to believe it to be the only one, you see. But many traditions fixate themselves on their own realization, their own uh, formulation of the truth, and they want to make it to be the, the real truth, the only truth. And and I'm trying to go beyond that, and in fact, not trying, I have gone beyond that. My experience, let's say, has taken me beyond that. So I can accept many traditions at the same time. And that's why I have what's called the view of totality, 
means a view that includes all possible views. Yeah, so let's talk more about the view of totality, which is really in this online teaching program what you go into in quite some depth. You talk about it as looking at our current reality as if we had stepped outside into a parallel universe and we could see this view of totality. And so I'm curious about that, Hamid. If we entered some parallel universe, aren't we still have a particular perspective? How do you ever get a view of totality? Because you're always seeing it from a perspective of some kind. Because you're free to move between your universes. And your view doesn't take the view of one universe to be the, the, the only truth. So that's where freedom comes in. So freedom for me is really the mark of uh, enlightenment. And freedom in all senses, in all possible ways. Not just freedom from suffering, but the freedom of view, the freedom of perspective freedom of experience. Hmm. Hmm. So you're even free from the view of totality? Well, yeah. I mean, much of the time I don't think about it. <laughs> Just having my dinner, I'm not thinking of free totality. But the view of totality is in some sense is uh, it's not exactly a view. It's more like it is the, uh, the openness to uh, the, all the views. So I call it a view because just to differentiate it from the people who believe in one particular view, right? One yeah. particular way of, of enlightenment or realization. I say this views of totality, meaning the totality of all views. But it is not a view in the sense, it's not a perspective, it is not a mental concept, it's not an attitude. It's, it's purely an all-rounded, I call it an all-rounded openness hmm. Hmm. to the various views. And each of you has a teaching, has a realization, and has an enlightenment. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a Kashmiri Shaivite, for instance, you have your realization will be of Shiva, Shiva and Shakti. Realizing oneself as Shiva is not exactly the same thing as experiencing oneself as Satchitananda which is, again, a Hindu thing, which is not the same thing as experiencing oneself as Dharmakaya, which is more of a Buddhist thing, which is not the same thing as experiencing oneself as, uh, you know, the mirror samadhi of, uh, of Zen. They are all realizations, they're all illumination and enlightenment, but they really have different content, different field, different topography, different uh, ways of knowing and seeing things. And, and just like I explained to you the difference between non-dual and the other way that I usually call unilocal, where I am inside you, you're inside me, right? Yeah. That. That's the realization where they say a grain of sand contains the whole universe. Yeah. There, I mean, poets spoke about it. It's known, that realization, by different teaching. But it's not non-dual realization. Non-dual realization is like an ocean that has many waves, and all the waves are part of the same ocean. While this one, no, the wave contains the ocean. So that's an example, of, uh, a clear example of two kind of realization that are not, they have different way of perceiving, different, and in fact, the delusions that we go through or the obstacles we go through are a little different. 
and it deals with different parts of our character, different parts of our tendencies. Mm-hmm. So tell me what you would see as the obstacles to non-dual realization and then the obstacles to what you're calling unilocal realization. Well, the main obstacle to non-dual realization is believing in that you are a separate entity. Right? That's believing you are a separate entity, which is the usual belief of ego. That's the the... That's the main obstacle for non-dual realization. For unilocal realization, the main obstacle is more like uh, uh, the separation is not between one thing, uh, between what is there what is and uh, what is here, The idea of separation itself is the obstacle. There's no idea of separation because in the unilocal realization, the idea of union or separation are simply not relevant. Then, when you are inside me, I am inside you. What do you call that? Separation or union or what? You see, those words don't apply to it. I remember in the series, Hamid, I asked you to take us into an experience of unilocal realization. I don't think that for some people that that's that accessible, what you're describing. And I don't know if people for just... For most people, yeah. it's not accessible. But there are people who actually it is accessible. I've discovered after I started teaching it that some people actually knew about it. They had the experience. They just never talked about it because they didn't know it was important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I asked you, what's the sticking point, if you will, where people have a realization, whatever type it might be, and they're like, that's it, I'm done, check, I've come to the promised land. And you said that it's a lack of this openness to truth showing up in however way it shows up again and again and again. And what I'd like to ask about is I think a lot of people believe, if you really get down to it, that the goal on the spiritual path is something like being happy. Like if you really cornered them and you said, why are you doing it? Why are you doing your meditation practice? Why are you praying? Why are you interested in all of this? It's like, you know, gosh, I just want to be a happy person. So I'm curious what you think about that. It's certainly not the same language as I love the truth. Uh, Happiness is, is a side product effect of uh, realization. So there is happiness in all the kinds of realization. So if a person wants happiness, they're having one realization is enough for them. That'll make them happy. And I think it's fine for people to feel this is the truth, they got to it, and it's good for them to rest in their laurels for some years. Why not? And just you know, acclimate to that new reality. And, you know, that's what I did for some years, 10 years or so. And uh, it's good to acclimatize oneself to the new terrain, like, oh, there's non-dual or boundless or infinite beingness to to learn about and to be established in it. But if we really establish ourselves in it in a complete way, meaning the establishment is true establishment, not through ideas or belief. It means we are the true nature without believing in, my, in our mind that we are the true nature. We are the true nature naturally. If that happens, then it is, the mind is not in the way and true nature begins to show different things. It begins to manifest itself in different ways, different ways of experiencing. Now, at one point towards the beginning of the Endless Enlightenment series, you ask people to reflect, do you have a goal for the spiritual journey? Is there something you're going for? And 
you go so far as to say that having a goal is like trying to twist God's arm. I mean, right. you're pretty strong on it. I mean, you say to have a goal, ready for this? This is what you said, is uninformed stupidity, actually, like trying to twist God's arm. Yes. Yeah, I said that, and it's true, but I'm not the only one, actually, who says it. If you go to the deepest teaching of uh, Sokchan practice or Mahamudra or deepest teaching of Kashmiri, Shaivism, they all say that. They say that the highest teaching is non-doing. You don't do anything. You just let go, relax, let it be. That's the highest practice. And I'm saying you could start that practice from the beginning. You don't have to wait to wait till you arrive at the last stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the inquiry practice that I teach uh, includes that principle from the beginning that you inquire into your experience not because you want something from it, not because you want it to go someplace, but simply because you really want to find out what it is, what's happening, what is its truth. So you don't have a goal. You don't want to accomplish something. You just want to know it. That's all. So that's no goal. Goal means I want peace, I want enlightenment, I want awareness, I want emptiness, I want love, I want God. You know, all these are seen as goals. But these if you have those goals, that means your mind is in the way. There's an idea in the mind that's saying, that's what I want. So the mind is leading the way instead of our true nature leading the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea of no goal is not particular to my teaching. It is true about many teachings. They say that, but they don't say it till the end of their teaching, usually. They don't say it from the beginning. Some of them beginning to say that, to realize that it's important to say it from the beginning, but many don't. They don't say it till they say it at the end, when you reach the final light when you are, and you have attained the three kayas and all of that, you realize there's nothing to do. And there was not, never anything to do. And, I, and and I'm saying, that's true, I recognize that, but why do we have to wait till we realize the three kayas? Okay, Hamid, so let's say somebody's listening and they go, but look, I want to be honest. And the honest truth is, the goal I have, I have a goal, I want to be peaceful and happy, something like that. That's the truth. That's what I want. Or I want to be free. That's my goal. I want to be free. And I'm I'm not going to pretend it's not true. That's how I feel right now. What do I do with that? I'm hearing Hamid at the same time say, you know, that this isn't the most open way to be, but I have a goal. Well, so what do you do? I mean, that's normal. That's ordinary. Everybody's like that. Is you recognize you have a goal. And at some point, you recognize how having this goal becomes an obstacle in the way. You're standing in your own way. If you mm-hmm. really stay with it, you will realize, I mean, in the way the stories, the old stories are told, is that, you know, the person practices or follows the teaching and something, only to, towards the end, just at the moment, then they realize, oh, I've been in the way, I've been trying too hard, and, and then I just, just forget it, you know, and I drop everything. And then it happens. You know, there are many stories like that. That's when enlightenment happens for many people, when they stop doing what they're doing. And I'm not saying that uh, one should never have a goal or it's not useful to have a goal. I will say having a goal at the beginning is useful. You know, you do need to have a goal, at least in the sense of, um, I'm, I'm not happy with the way I am. I know I want, 
um, feel a longing for something different. For something different that will have more freedom, more more liberation. It's okay to have that goal. That's natural. That's how we feel it. Because we still have a mind that operates. It will formulate the inner movement, the movement toward enlightenment as in the language of a goal. So it will continue, you know, putting it in the language of a goal until at some point we realize that having a goal at some point becomes a subtle obstacle. Mm-hmm. And not, not to confuse that with external life, with li- everyday life where you have goals. Sure, wanna sure. Have a house, you want to get married, and that, that's fine to have those goals. Sure. But not goals for your experience. Not goals for your spirit. Spirit is free, and it's it's not like a, uh, uh, the spirit. You could say it has goals, but it's not really goals. It's more like it has a dynamic intelligence that moves it toward greater expansion and liberation. It inherently by itself does that. We don't need to have an idea of a goal. Now, Hamid, this teaching on the view of totality that you go into quite some depth with on the Endless Enlightenment series is a teaching that you actually received more than two decades ago, but it's only in the last handful of years that you've been starting to teach both your own students within the Diamond Approach School, but also the public about the view of totality. So why did you wait so long, and why now? Well, yeah, several reasons. First of all, I was busy teaching the usual spirituality of non-dual realization. It, It took a lot of time to teach it, because in my teaching, the non-dual realization has many facets and many dimensions and many nuances. And all of those need to be taught first. And that took me years to do. And the other reason is that for a long time, I did not feel an inner permission to teach it. It felt to me it should stay secret. That was my feeling. It felt it felt like an, my, an inner guidance that says, don't do it, not yet. And maybe you never teach it. Just teach the usual spirituality that everybody knows or is written about or known through tradition. So that's what I was doing. Although it's different from other traditions because the Dharma approach has its own formulation of non-dual realization and through nature and soul and all of that and ego but I didn't have the inner permission to teach it I didn't feel it was right to give it out because uh, I didn't know why but uh, it could be confusing or it could be not the right time at some point however I started feeling it is time to teach it and I first taught it to the teachers of our school that's the first that I taught it to. Mm-hmm. And if you were to summarize, if people were to understand the view of totality, if people could really get it, this is how they would be different. Well, first of all, life will be thrilling and exciting. And novelty is an important feature of it. And it's not like you become enlightened and stay in the same condition forever. Enlightenment lives, and lives by learning new things, and new things about enlightenment, and new things about our true nature, about reality. Reality, just like in our science, for instance, you can't think of science as going to end one of those days, right? Yeah. Science is always going to find new things. 
because there's no end to how much knowledge there is, how much secret there are to the universe. The same thing about the spiritual universe. You find out when you're free in it, in the spiritual universe, you realize it's a whole universe. You could travel in it, and you can discover many things, and and it's true, you're contented, you're not looking for anything, you don't need anything, but you're traveling, what are you going to do? That's, you know, you're, you're not uh, staying in one place, you're a traveler from one uh, state to another, from one condition to another, from one inside to another, and uh, from one way of knowing or being to another, that's that is the nature, actually, of reality, that there is an infinity to it. That's why it's endless enlightenment, just like science is endless. Enlightenment is knowledge of the spiritual world and freedom. So it's endless. I've been speaking with A.H. Almas about a new online program that he's created with Sounds True on the view of totality in the diamond approach. And the online course, Endless Enlightenment, begins on March 28th. It includes two live question and answer sessions with Hamid. And also the program takes you through a series of inquiry exercises and practices that you can do both on your own and with a partner. Again, the course begins on March 28th. Hamid, it always deepens me and activates me in a good way, meaning I just feel so excited about the spiritual universe every time I talk to you. So thank you. Oh, thank that's you so the much. idea, activation, using the word activated, because really part of enlightenment is a spiritual activation. Like the consciousness is activated, so it, it begins to overflow and move. And then unstoppable becomes unstoppable in its revelation. Instead of just revealing one thing and saying that's the truth, it's unstoppable. Keep revealing one thing after the other. It's activated. Yeah, well, that's the way I feel right now. I feel this kind of buzzing yeah. inside my yeah. body and a sense of kind of brimming, excited life. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, uh, hopefully, everybody who listened to the course would be feeling like that. Excited and brimming, brimming, brimming with a thrilling, the thrill of adventure. That's what I like about it, the thrill of adventure. You even helped me, Hamid, reframe instead of people being spiritual seekers, spiritual explorers. And I like that, the idea yeah. that we just keep exploring. I love that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, I, I like that, definitely. Soundstreet.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.